Umagyana Timirandasya Gyananjana Salakaya Chakshurumaritam Jena Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha Nama Shishnamanumapi Sachiputra Matra Swarupam Rupam Tasyagrajam Rupurim Maturim Goshtavati Radha Kundam Giribaram Oho Radhika Madhavasam Prapto Yasya Patita Kripaya Sri Gurum Tam Natosmi Ajanalam Bito Bujo Kanakabadato Sankitanaya Kapitaro Kamalaya Taksho Vishwambaro Tvijabaro Yuga Dharma Palo Bandejagat Priyakaro Karunabhutaro Bandeshi Krishna Chaitanya Nityananda Shodito Gurudai Pushpavanto Chitro Sandotamonudo Shri Guri Vaishnava Guru Parampara Ki Jai Hari Nam Prabhu Ki Jai So, pleasure to be here in the home of my old friend Uttamashloka Prabhu and with all of you, some of you who I know from a long time past or you know me and some of you who know me in more recent times and some of you maybe have not met me before. Pleasure to be with all of you. And I'd like to speak a little tonight about Krishna Janamastami, which of course is tomorrow, but I'll be speaking somewhere else on that topic. I thought mostly you are all devotees, so you are familiar with the leela concerning the birth appearance of Lord Krishna. And because it's full of so many wonderful insights, with the blessings of our Guru Parampara and Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and your kind permission, I will say a little something about the secrets of Krishna's appearance. So we offer our Dandavat Pranam to Sriman Mahaprabhu. Before we speak about Krishna, we should always say something about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This is the way. Kabiraj Krishna Das, the great poet and saint, author of Chaitanya Charitamrita, said about Sriman Mahaprabhu in relation to Krishna and Krishna Lila, that Krishna Lila is flowing in all directions, like a river flowing in all directions from the fountain of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. About this poetic description, Bhakti Raksakti Goswami Maharaj once said, first the giver, then the gift. So Sriman Mahaprabhu is the giver, and the gift is Krishna, Krishna Lila. So first we should say something about him and relative to the topic of Janamastami, the appearance of Krishna. You may know that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu went to Vrindavan with much endeavor. He finally arrived at Vrindavan, checked over years from doing so by the force of the affection of his devotees. They made it almost impossible for him to to leave their company. But the call of Vrindavan and the very purpose of his descent was strong enough that they acquiesced and gave him their blessings to go with certain conditions that he take with him a couple of assistants. He agreed and finally he went to Vrindavan. You can imagine the ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Vrindavan who 
previous to going there, just upon hearing about Vrindavan, would fall into ecstasy. So he was in a difficult position. And it was important that he had those assistants with him to take care of him. And when he came to Vrindavan, of course he arrived in Mathura. And Mathura is most famous for being the birthplace of Lord Krishna. So, Janmastani Keshav Deki Kurila Pranam. Janmastani Keshav Deki. He saw the Janmastan of the Lord, where the Keshav deity had been established in Mathura, and Kurila Pranam. He gave his full pranam, regard, namaskar, to that birthplace. However, later on, in Kabiraj Goswami's description, of Mahaprabhu's touring of Vrindavan and seeing all the places of Krishna's pastimes, discovering them. Later, of course, commissioning Sri Rupa and Sanat and Goswamis to fully reveal them to the world, which they did in such a comprehensive way through their writing and through the kind of contemporary and, if you will, cutting-edge type of prachar, preaching that they did, that got the patronage of the kings, the Hindu rajas, such that if you didn't have a temple in Vrindavan for your Rani to do puja for Krishna, if you hadn't contributed something to build a god in the places where Rupa Sanadam were saying, this happened here, this happened here, they saw this here, Krishna did this here, then you are nobody. You know, it's one thing to have money. Another thing at a certain point is how you spend it determines whether you're wealthy or not. It's harder to spend it wisely even than it is to earn it. Most of us are only struggling to earn it. <laughs> so, Mahaprabhu, he went, of course, as I say before, Rupa Sanatana, and he saw all the places of Krishna's pastimes. When he came to Mahavan Gokul, Mahavan Gya Koila, Janmastan Darshan. Mahavan Koila Gya Koila Janmastan Darshan. It is said there he had the darshan of the Janmastan of Krishna. So this seems contradictory because in the beginning he's had the darshan of the Janmastan in Mathura. And then it said he had the darshan of the Janmastan in Mahavan Gokul. So, this is very instructive to us. This takes us very deep within the lila of Krishna's appearance. That Mahaprabhu observed two places of Krishna's appearance. This is the inside of Gaudiya Vaishnavas. And Gaudiya Vaishnavism, that is founded by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, he revealed these secrets. So, let us speak by the grace of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his Nityaparikar, his associates, and particularly those whom he empowered to distribute his insight and experience of and into Krishna Lila. Our most revered Shastra Gurus, Bandesi Rup Sanatana, Pataragunasi Jiva Gopal Bhatta Das Raghunath, Sadgoshami Pruki Jai. Of course, Sanatana Goswami Prabhu is the architect of the Sampradaya and he has given all the mantras and procedures. He has given the Sambandha. 
Sambandh Gyan, Rupa Goswami has taught the process of worship. They're on the study and the lone disciple of Rupa Goswami, Shijiva Goswami, explains so much tattva. And in his final literary contribution, it was his crown jewel of his work, he's most known perhaps for his Satsandarbha, his sixfold treatise on the tattva of the Bhagavatam as understood through the eyes of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But in Tattva Sandarbha, one Sandarbha, one of the six treaties, is called Krishna Sandarbha. And after writing this treatise, he wrote again a final work that took that Krishna Sandarbha, which tells us the truth about Krishna. It is the upper end, so to speak, of the Sambandha, or proper conceptual orientation to the nature of reality that will bring about subsequent action that we call bhakti. Upper end, because it is all about Krishna, the fact of Krishna's supremacy, sweetness, charm, and so forth. But in Gopal Champu, his final work, he took that Krishna Sandarbha and he wrote it again in poetry, beautiful poetry. So there he has given many wonderful insights about Krishna Leela. And certainly a good part of that, a chapter of that is about Krishna's appearance. So many wonderful things he has revealed there. And that also on the basis of Sri Sanatana Goswami's Vaishnav Toshini, his tika, his commentary on the 10th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. So Krishna's birth, Krishna's appearance, the janma of Krishna, janma karma, chami dibhyam, is not an ordinary thing. It's mentioned in ninth canto of Bhagavatam. You know that ninth canto of Bhagavatam, a certain aspect of what constitutes a Purana is found there. There are different five or so things that constitute a Purana. And uh, one of them is that it should have a list, a genealogical table. In contemporary times, a family tree. So the family tree is given for a long time back. And there's one mention of one Devamidha who came to Mathura. And he had uh, two sons from two wives, one wife a Chatriya and one wife a Vaishya. Chatriya means, of course, the administrative sector, martial sector of the society, and the Vaishya means uh, they were the mercantile class and cowherding section, agricultural class. So from these two wives, he had some wonderful sons, the principal sons of, were named Sura and Parjanya. Sura was the issue from his Chatriya wife, and Parjanya, the issue from his Vaishya wife. That Sura went on to marry, of course, and had a son named Vasudev, who is well known as the father of Krishna, the real father of Krishna. He's well known for that. <laughs> and uh, Parjanya, he had five sons, all of whom are worth mentioning. He himself the name Parjanya means like rain cloud. He was a shower himself of kindness and affection, regard for the Brahmanas. If we were to take the list of the great persons in Bhagavatam, like Prahlad, Dhruva, and examine their qualities, where they, all of them are found in Parjanya.
of Mahadev, Shiv, so many Vaishnavanam Yathashambhu, all these great personalities in Bhagavatam. Oh, he was very magnanimous, very kind, and Vaishnav, always a worshipper of Narayana. And so he was blessed with five sons. And his wife was from the, what we call, Abhira sector, a type of Vaishya sect. That is, Vaishya, you know, like in Jewish families, it's said that if your mother is Jewish, you're Jewish. It's uh, so this is a similar idea. If your mother was a Vaishya and your father was a Chatri, then you are a Vaishya. Your activities would be relegated to that sector of the society. Well, he, Bharjan, he married a very nice lady, young lady, and she was an Abhira. means that there was some Brahminical blood in her family. So partly Brahminical and partly Vaishya. Three parts Brahman and one part Vaishya, which is the, the combination. And this is interesting because you may know that it's mentioned in Shishtikanda of Padma Purana that Brahma, while performing sacrifice one day, his wife was busy with household affairs and wife should assist in the Vedic culture, the husband in the sacrifices and so forth. She was not available, but she was needed. Indra was present on the scene and he said, I'll get somebody else. So he went as they do, quickly, to earth. And uh, he found a, a beautiful young lady who was bringing milk products to the market for trade in Vaishadharma. He snatched her away and took her to Brahma. Engaged her in the sacrifice, and Brahma said, what shall I do with her now? Marry her. So they were married. Of course, this caused a huge ruckus. Gun- by Gandharva marriage, means like, you know, you eloped type of a marriage, without any permission, a prearrangement, or anything of the sort. So the cowherds, as you can understand, they were a little disturbed by this, so they registered a complaint. Indra thought it over, talked with Brahma, Vishnu was called into the scene, and he said, it's all right. I'll grace your lineage. This can't be changed now. The Gandharva marriage has taken place, but I'll grace your family, your lineage in the future by taking birth there. This is a, many reasons why Krishna appeared in the world. But this is a very important one, an interesting one. Because he said, I'll take birth in your family in the future. So remember that point. <laughs> As it turned out, that lady was Gayatri. That girl, it was revealed she was Gayatri. So something to learn from this also. Gayatri, of course, is mentioned in the Gita as that song that Krishna says of songs, I am Gayatri. This is the primordial uh, mantram. From Gayatri, all the Vedas have expanded. How there are some sectors of Gaudiya Sampradaya that take exception to the fact that in our Diksha, in what we call Saraswat Gaudiya Sampradaya, you must know what Saraswat Gaudiya Sampradaya means. That means, another way it is, we can call Bhakti Vinod Puribar. Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur taught his disciples to reply. Whenever they were asked in the Braj Mandal or Godamandala Bhumi, the land of Mahaprabhu and the land of Krishna, by any Vaishnav, oh, what is your Puribar? Puribar means what is your Sampradaya, what is your family? It is considered by these Gaudiya sects that if you are not in a lineage that has its origin, in one of the eternal associates of Mahabhu, Nitananda Prabhu, 
श्रीअद्वैत परिवार नित्यानंद परिवार गराधार परिवार or from the Goswamis, for example, then you're not in Gaudiya Sampradaya. So, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur taught his disciples to reply when they were asked, what is your paribar? To reply, Bhakti Vinod paribar. Because he agreed with the popular opinion of a very well-known journalist of the time that this Bhakti Vinod Thakur he is uh, seventh Goswami because he thought that his work was very analogous to that of the six Goswamis who, as I mentioned earlier, excavated the places of Krishna's pastimes, the Lila Stali of Krishna in Vrindavan, revealed Vrindavan to the world. They wrote many books also which further did so. In this way, they institutionalized the ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu through their literature. Mahaprabhu's ecstasy is like a waterfall of ecstatic love. It's beautiful, but you cannot get too close to that. If you go to the Niagara Falls, you have to kind of stand back and just look in wonder. But they took that ecstasy of Mahaprabhu and turned it into a lake in the form of their writing that can be approached. You can swim in the lake and drink from that and bathe there. It's a soft form of institutionalizing the ecstatic reality that we call Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And by that, making it accessible. Bhaktivinoda Thakur had a vision for this type of thing, also for further, if you will, institutionalizing this beyond the soft form of institutionalizing through writing literature to form an institution that would foster not only the propagation of Gaudiya Vaishnavism worldwide, but also lend support, practical and structural, if you will, support to those who were attracted to the Paramhamsa Marg but didn't become Paramhamsas the day they joined. This is Paramhamsa Marg. Dharma prajita kaitavutra paramo nirmat saranam satam and Vaishnavanam priyam srimad bhagavatam paramahamsa samhitam In so many ways it is described. This Bhagavad culture who is interested in Srimad Bhagavatam, they have interest in the Paramhamsa Marg. But because we have interest in Paramhamsa Marg, it doesn't mean that we are a Paramhamsa. So he saw that many people had Sraddha in this Marg, this path. But due to the lack of some type of structural, if you will, support for that, it wasn't being distributed as far and wide as Mahaprabhu had predicted Pitvichyata, Nagaradi Gram, Maranam. And neither those who were becoming connected with it, to a large extent, was their Shraddha, their faith, their interest, supported in a practical way that they could move systematically and step by step in the direction of the ideal. So his foremost disciple, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, he formed such an institution to foster the wide-scale propagation of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and give support to newcomers in an unprecedented way, following the vision of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Sridhar once said, the vision came in Thakur Bhaktivinoda. And my Guru Maharaj, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, gave some shape to that in the form of Gaudiya Maharaj. And your Guru Maharaj, Bhaktivedanta Sami Prabhupada, he took it all over the world. He spread it all over the world. 
And about himself, he said, oh, I'm just in the background <laughs> offering a little auxiliary help. As Swami Maharaj, as he used to affectionately address Prabhupada, wanted me to. He tried to drag me out many times, and that even at the request of our Guru Maharaj. But my nature is very introverted, and I like to be in the background. I might say, if I can, an editorial comment on that, a very good quality. <laughs> a very good quality to want to be in the background. I once told him, Oh, Guru Maharaj, my Shikshaguru, that you always say that you are a backward-pushing man, but you've pushed yourself so far into the back that you don't realize, turn around, everyone is looking at you. <laughs> you, have, you have so much to offer. You're in the front. And like Sri Thakur. When Mahaprabhu returned to Nadia after being in Puri for a long time, oh, the multitudes came out and followed him. The hometown boy, Nimai Pandit, has become a sannyasi. He's gone to Puri. He's converted the whole kingdom there. Very expertly, he converted the guru of the king. Bhattacharya, Sarvabhoma. Then the king followed suit. And if the king follows, then religion goes everywhere. <laughs> or your head will fall. <laughs> so Rajpataparudra became a Vaishnav. All of Puri was converted. And further, he went south. And it said, oh, he converted everyone he met to his brand, his new religion, as it was conceived. New religion. It is the old religion. In Gita, Krishna says what? Sometimes it gets covered. And when it's brought out again by my energy, by the investment of my energy in someone, my devotee, then it gets new life. And it may not even be recognized by the old comers, old timers. It looks like a new thing. A new religion, only because it's ever new, ever fresh, and always something more to say about it, and more to experience by seriously involving ourselves in it. So we are the Gaudiya Saraswat Sampradaya in the sense that we follow Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur and his followers, and he considered himself and advised his followers all to consider themselves to be followers of Bhakti Binod, the seventh Goswami, Bhakti Binod Parivar. This is our direct link to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He considered Bhakti Binod Thakur to be Nityasiddha, very extraordinary idea, who had descended for this kind of work. Oh, and even the Thakur speaks about his life, Swalikita Jivana, in his famous, almost autobiographical letter to Lalit Prashad Thakur, his younger son. Oh, and he tells the story of all of his progression. You may have seen it or read it. I did this, I did that. So many things he did. Some things we are taught not to do. With great candor he spoke about that. Nothing to hide. Oh, and if you read it, you think, what, he did that, he did that? And you're saying that he's great? But he did this at one time. He ate that. He did this. How can it be? Oh, but you have not studied it closely. How quickly he went. From apparently a generally religious person based on his birth to the time when reason began to manifest, turning towards even atheistic doctrines and considering them with a hatred for the Bhagavatam. From this 
through all stages of really religious development or a considerable number. Coming to Gaudiya Vaishnavism with a new understanding then of Bhagavatam through the eyes of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and becoming the person that we know him most for. How quickly he went through the progression. A progression that would take us lifetimes, if not yugas. This is not ordinary sadhaka. So, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur had good reason to think of Bhakti Vinod as he did. And he was not alone. Even the contemporary thinkers of the time had a great regard for him. So, Bhakti Vinod Puribhar, this is our succession. We are in the Gaudiya Saraswat Sampradaya. Most of us coming from Prabhupada Bhakti Siddhanta's disciples, like our Guru Maharaj, Jesi Bhakti Vinod Sami Prabhupada, all my Shikshaguru, others, were now their disciples and so forth. A very important lineage. And in this lineage, what do we find? The Diksha Mantra, given by Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur to his disciples, includes this Brahma Gayatri. Some Gaudiya sects, as I said, take exception to this. What is this Sabitri? Gayatri. Surya Gayatri. Ostensibly on its face, it, it is the worship of the sun. Or many different sects throughout Hinduism chant Brahma Gayatri. They call it by different names, relative to their conception of it and where it leads. Oh, Bhakti Siddhanta Sasri Thakur gave this, ostensibly for reasons of establishing Daiba Varnashram, a conception of Bhakti Vinod Thakur, which would give support to the budding faith and practice of Vaishnavas, as I say, some kind of tangible support. In other words, they weren't told in Bhakti Siddhanta Sasri Thakur's mission after getting their diksha just to go sit in the jungle and chant three lakhs a day of rounds. No, oh, they were taught not only shravanam, kirtanam, but scrubanam and mapanam and, and so many things. And the preaching work and keeping busy in so many ways. So many things. Seva to Vaishnava. But while this mantra in one sense is relative to the Daivavarnashram conception of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, it also has deep meaning. Our Chikshaguru Bhakti Rakshak Siddhadeva Goswami Maharaj has given a beautiful commentary on Brahma Gayatri taking us to the furthest reach of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, showing that what is found overtly in Kam Gayatri is found in a hidden way in Brahma Gayatri. And why not this Brahma Gayatri? Gayatri Devi is wife of Brahma, taken from the Abhira, Vaisha class, stolen, married in a Gandharva marriage. And on the basis of that, Vishnu gave a promise, I will appear in your family. That means on earth. And in the Vaishya family. Oh, well, do we know any representation of Vishnu, Vishnu Tattva, who appears in a Vaishya family on earth? It means this mantra also gives Krishna. Well, Jiva Goswami himself is told very plainly in Tattva Sandarbha also, in Paramatma Sandarbha. Brahma Gayatri is only about the Supreme God. And in a very secret way he showed also. If you had to study very carefully to see what he says. And it's about that which reveals that Supreme God. And through whose eyes will we know the most about the Supreme God? You see, if you want to know a person well, you have to understand their Shakti. It's like if you know me, then you know how you know. Oh, I know Triparari Maharaj. Oh, he was the book distributor. <laughs> and uh, he did all the, so that book distribution. Or you may know, oh, he writes books now. He sold them. Now he writes them too. These are things that are done by my shakti, my energy. 
There's me and my energy. If you know my energy, then you know me. So by knowing the Shakti of Krishna, we can know Krishna. So seeing Krishna through the eyes of Radha, well, we can know him. Like he doesn't know himself. You know, it's possible that other people can know you better than yourself. Get your picture taken and you're looking at it and you think, well, that's a terrible picture. And so, no, that's you. <laughs> they say, that's you. That's just what you look like. So he has shown in a secret way that Brahmagayatri leads to Ratadasyam. Sridhar Maharaj in his commentary brought out in no uncertain terms this idea. And furthermore, this Brahmagayatri, this Devi Gayatri herself, oh, when she heard about these pastimes of Krishna, what did she do? She had been taken from that community and later on Krishna's appearing in that community. She wanted to participate in that and in a special way. He's a lady after all. So, hearing about the gopi's love for Krishna, she wanted to experience that. So, therefore, she manifested as Kamgayatri in the form of Gopal Tapani. Gopal Tapani Shuti, the, the Upanishad named Gopal Tapani, explains Kamgayatri, Kamabich. So, what we find in Kamgayatri, all about Krishna Leela, furthest reach of aesthetic rapture in Krishna Leela, that must be there in Brahma Gayatri also, so with great mystical and spiritual insight, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur is also giving this. Some people take exception. We take exception to that. We ask them only this, you please study a little more carefully all these things. Parajani, he had a wife from this sector, in which it was foretold by Vishnu, oh, I owe you a debt, I'll have to make an appearance there. You know that Krishna comes to this world for different reasons. Two reasons are mentioned in Bhagavad Gita. Paritranaya sadunam chaduskritam To give protection to the devotees and to do away with those who are non-devotees, to dispense with them. Now, Krishna, when we speak of Krishna in Gaudiya Sampradaya, we mean the personification of affection and joy joy itself, affection itself. No better example could be there in the Leela of Krishna than the way in which he dealt with Putana, the smart, wise and learned Shastravit Uddhav. So learned he was. He was the counselor of Krishna himself in Dwarka. Krishna wanted to go here or there. He wouldn't move without the counsel of Uddhav. He would always cite the Shastra, of course. Shastra Praman, very learned. He was sent to Vrindavan to learn something. What's going on there? In his own words, he said that this Krishna, who in their right mind would take shelter of anyone else other than Krishna? What did he say? Oho, Bakiyam Stana Kalakutam. Oho, Bakiyam Stana Kalakutam. His head is reeling saying this. That Krishna, as an infant, when Putana came, Putana was a witch, she disguised herself as a nurse. She was an infant killer, and she disguised herself as a nurse, as a mother, and she offered her breast milk to Krishna. You see the contrast between a mother, the softness of the breast, the nourishing milk of the mother to the infant. The contrast between this softness, nourishing, affection, and the dastardly deed that she wanted to commit. Through that, she wanted to kill the child. This would make the headlines. Lady disguises herself as nurse, 
smears poison on her breast to kill a child, infant she was babysitting. Oh, that would be on the CNN and a huge <laughs> shocking thing. <laughs> it is shocking. And Uddhava wisely, he thought about that. And he thought, this was her intention. The intention's bad enough, but the way she went about it just magnifies it to the extreme. And how did Krishna react? Did he kill her? No. Vishnu killed her. The Vishnu in him does this aspect. Vinashaya Traduskritam gets the demons out of the way. And Krishna gave her Vatsalya Bhakti, Vatsalya Rati, made her an eternal nurse of him in his Leela. You know how hard that is to get? You know how hard it is to attain such a thing? Suddurlabha. You can try and try and try and try. And you should. Something like that, according to your heart's ambition. As your heart starts to become uncovered from so many of the artificial ambitions that you've collected over lifetimes, anarthas, the real artha, artha praviti, what you really want in life, your real heart's interest, how Krishna would like to accept service from you. It will manifest in your heart as if it's my own desire. It's me. When that comes, oh, that very fortunate time to culture that, to cherish that, to develop that quietly. In one place, Thakur Narutam, Mahashai said, this thing is so sweet, it is so beautiful, it is so high. Love, I tell you, by its nature wants to distribute itself everywhere. You fall in love, you want to tell everyone. But quickly you find out everyone's not interested and they don't feel the way I do. And when I speak about such a wonderful thing, oh, they don't appreciate it, so I don't talk about it. <laughs> then I retire to a quiet place or with a few people who can appreciate and we talk about it. Or if we talk about it in public, we do it in a secret language. I say this, overtly it means one thing, but you know, she knows what it really means. But only a couple people know. In the Krishna Leela it is the same thing. In the Leela itself this thing is a secret. Krishna's love for Radharani is a secret. Even in the Leela. And we are going, Radhe, Radhe. But even in the Leela, this is kept quiet. Not that we shouldn't chant the name of Radha, but tastefully. Gopis know, but they can't talk about it. Krishna knows he can't talk about it. Mother Yashoda suspects something, but certainly she can't talk about it. But Rasa can't talk about it. Madhuya Rasa itself can't talk about it. Not in public. Only in private. What about those friends of Krishna? Can they talk about that? Mostly not, but some can. Subal Saka, Arjun Saka of Vrindavan, Madhumangal Saka, special kind of Saka, Priyanarma Saka. Rupa Goswami, when he describes Sakya Bhakti in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, when he comes to the Priyanarmi, he says, oh, and this, this is millions of times better than the rest of This is, of course, all transcendental consideration. This is a so special kind of Sakyarasa. Exceeds in its excellence of the transcendental experience, Vatsalya Bhakti, which generally is considered to have more excellences than Sakya Bhakti. Those fellows, they can talk about that, but all very secretly they talk about that. Publicly, but in a secret language. You know, Krishna in the morning, he comes. As breakfast is being prepared by Radhika in the house of Nanda Baba, 
and he wants to hear the name of Radha, but of course he cannot say it, so he gives his parrot a mantra to chant about Narayan. This mantra compares Narayan to a great mountain. Like if you see a beautiful mountain towering above uh, everything else, you think of nourishment and all the life that it is sustaining, how long it's been there and how it will never move and lends to stability and so forth. So he gives a nice mantra comparing Narayan to a dhara. Dhara means Dhara means carry, sustain. It's a name for mountain. Mountain is Dhara. You know, like Gadadhara or Haladhara, who carries. So it's a name for mountain, Dhara. But the parrot couldn't catch the whole mantra. He said, okay, just say Dhara, 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 And then Madhu Mangal, he can understand everything. So he was big publicly but privately at the same time, secret language about Krishna and what will happen in the day. Krishna's ambition is what? I'm here in my house, she's here cooking for me. Will we get to meet? Will we get to talk, say something, to argue with one another or what may be the case? So, of course, he gives his prediction. Yes, I know. I am omniscient. I know astrology. I can tell you future. So he tells the story. Today, you will go to a lake, you will find a beautiful swan there, different from all the rest. And climbing one tree from that branch, you will look and you will be able to capture her. From that tree, you will pick some pomegranates. And <laughs> it's all secret language. The swan is Radha, the tree branches, Vishaka Gopi, the pomegranates are the breasts of Radha that he will attain. Oh, a little bit. Hi, but this is Maru Mangal knows all these things. He can talk about it, but secretly. Nobody knows what he's talking about except Krishna. So, we should be involved in these things according to our eligibility and adhikar. We should know the theory and know how to go there step by step, know where we are. Who is Krishna? What is Krishna's ambition in life? He came for different reasons. To annihilate the miscreants? Yes. But that is a Vishnu in him. As Krishna, he's just affection. He gave her, Putana, such a high place. According to our heart, oh, we may get some aspiration after a long time and very serious practice, very, very serious practice and the full blessings of our Gurudev. If we cultivate that, it should be done very quietly, privately. Narottam Thakur, what did he say? He said, this thing is so special, so high. He said, that you should think about it always, internally, but not in front of people who are not interested in that or don't have adhikar for that. This is a very exceptional statement. What he's emphasizing is, this you should think about always, but it's so high that you shouldn't even think about it in front of people who don't have eligibility to talk about it. So, so a distant thing for us, but nonetheless our ideal. Krishna gave that to Putana. And we are going there favorably, Anukul. She came unfavorably, he gave it anyway. It means admission there is completely his prerogative. If he wants to give, he can give. If not, he cannot. Two things, our endeavor and his mercy are required. We should endeavor as if it's dependent upon our endeavor, while full knowing it's only possible to gain access there by his mercy. And Mahatseva means his mercy is extended through the sadhus who have that. They can give that kind of mercy. So Krishna, he comes to destroy the miscreants and to protect the devotees. So what kind of devotees are in the world? Sadhakas. 
very high type of sadhaka who is like bhava bhakta. It's between sadhana and prema, but there's a practice, a culture that goes on there. He comes particularly for them. And for those who such persons, such bhava bhaktas generously consider to be Vaishnavas. If a great bhakta considers that we are devotees, oh, then we'll get some attention from Krishna along those lines. He will consider, oh, he's thinking like that. He loves them. I love him. So I love them too. They don't love me. <laughs> Not entirely, but some love for me they have. They're cultivating that love. So how important it is for us to be in touch with such a sadhu. So important. So he comes for those sadhus. High kind of bhava bhakta who have swarup siddhi. And what are they doing? In swarup siddhi, I mean, they realize their nature. They're cultivating that. Their next step is to take birth on earth where Krishna is performing his lila. So Krishna comes for them. Krishna moves only by the desire of his devotees. But then we have to think, how can a devotee who is not yet perfect in every respect have the kind of love that will cause Krishna to fully manifest? Krishna manifests in correspondence with the love in the heart of his devotees. So we have to think more deeply then. He says Krishna comes for the devotees. And the Vishnu inside of him gets rid of the miscreants. But Krishna comes primarily for the devotees. So there's those type of high devotees in this world. And then there is his eternal retinue. Like Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda Mai. Their love is complete for Krishna. Absolutely complete and perfect. They have love like father and mother for Krishna. But in Golok, they can never see him take birth. He's a Kishore. An adolescent, that is the supreme most form of Krishna, no doubt. But at the same time, his childhood pastimes are very charming, especially for someone in Batsalya Rasa. So Madhav Yashoda, Nandu Maharaj, they have some desire to see the birth of Krishna. That Leela, so sweet, the Nara Leela. It's like when you make a film on location, it's so much better. So Krishna is human-like. When he comes to human society and performs his pastimes, oh, then how complete it is. So this appearance of Krishna in this world has its beginning there, on that side. He comes to fulfill the ambition of Nanda Maharaj, Yashoda Mai, then those sadhakas, and then those demons also take care of them. And this is how he comes, in this way. This is his family lineage. Parjanya Maharaj married that Abhira girl. He had five sons. Upananda, Abhinanda, Sananda, Nanda, Nandana. The root of all this Sanskrit root is Nanda. It means bliss, ecstasy. His sons gave him great ecstasy. They were full of joy themselves. Amongst all of them, the middle son, Nanda, was the most charming and competent. When Parjani was satisfied, he had raised five sons. He went to retire. He was the king of the cowards. He gave the kingdom to Upananda, the eldest son. And Upananda, at his first act as the king, transferred the, the crown to his younger son, Nanda, because he said he is most qualified. And after all, in comparison to him, I am only Upananda, means a little Nanda. <laughs> Everyone was happy with that. Such were the qualities of Nanda Maharaj. Nanda Maharaj's life was complete in every way. Only problem with Nanda Maharaj's life was what? He didn't have a son. Older and older, still he had no son. Why didn't he have a son? He confided in Mother Yashoda. 
Whenever I think of having a son, I get a vision of a child that is more beautiful than Narayan. And I realize, that's crazy. What kind of desire is that? To have a son that is more charming, more beautiful, more competent than, than our God. We are Vaishnavas. We worship Narayan. She said, I have the same dream. What to do? Yashodamayi told him. He said he didn't know. She thought, she's a very, very chaste lady and very austere and very religious. She said, oh, well, to get rid of this idea, this capricious thinking that's taking us away from the worship of Narayan, thinking that there's something better than Narayan and more beautiful and be our son, let us worship Narayan. And let us take a vow of Dwarasi Brat for one year. Nanda Baba said, that's very good. We'll do that. So with following the Brat very carefully, for one year they did this Dwarasi Brat. And towards the end of that, Narayan appeared to both of them separately and said, huh, that was not capricious thinking you had. You'll have such a son, by my grace. You'll have such a son. And then it began to happen. Mother Jashoda, she had a vision, dreamlike vision. And she saw that beautiful son with a young girl wrapped around him. And the son appeared in the heart of Nanda Maharaj, and the girl went into her womb. She didn't understand it. But she began to take on the signs of pregnancy. And though she was a very chaste lady and very <clears throat> austere in her habits and and all. Suddenly she began to act a little eccentric and she had developed a strong taste for sweets and milk products and even sweet rice with ghee and a tulsi leaf in it and all these things. Yogamaya was that girl. She follows Krishna wherever he goes like a shadow. Even he doesn't pay attention to her being attracted to the love of his devotees. She follows him everywhere. She caused Mother Yasoda to appear as if pregnant. Then Purnamasi appeared on the scene suddenly, out of nowhere, the mystic lady with a young lad. Oh, and the people said, who are you? She says, my name is Purnamasi, and I can tell a future. And this boy, oh, his name is Madhu Mangal, and he has mystic power that he always stays the same age. And we kind of hang together. And I've come to tell you something. Nanda Maharaj is going to have a son. And all the villagers, this is before the symptoms were entirely visible. Oh, they were overjoyed. Nanda Maharaj will have a son. Nanda Maharaj will have a son. Nanda Baba will have a son. They said, Oh, lady, so kind you have told us this. Let us build you a house near the Krishna. Krishna is another name for the Jamuna because the Jamuna is black. He said, Yes, you have spoken of another Veda. I will live near the Krishna. But what you don't know is that his son will be named Krishna. And I am always with him. After all, she is another manifestation of that Yogamaya, Purnamasi, in the Leela itself. Oh, so then everyone was so happy to know Nanda Maharaj would have a son. His name would be Krishna. So, it's mentioned in Srimad Bhagavatam there that Krishna would appear along with his Angsa, Angsa Bhagena, and Vishnu Maya Bhagavati along with Yogamaya. So that Angsa, that is Devakinandan Krishna, his Angsa appeared in Mathura. And Krishna himself appeared in that Vaisha clan as the actual real son of Jashoda and Nanda Maharaj. And that girl also appeared. You know that Yogamaya put everybody to sleep in the prison house. She also put everybody in Vrindavan to sleep. First, 
Krishna was born. Everyone was overjoyed. The sun is born. Then they passed out. You can imagine how they had been waiting for so long and such, with such anticipation. And in the influence of Yoga Maya, they all passed out. And the girl came out, the second issue. And Yashoda Maya herself had passed out. She is mentioned, after all, in Bhagavatam as Anuja, the younger sister of Krishna. You have to study the language very carefully to find all these secrets. This is what our Goswamis have done to demonstrate, oh, as Mahaprabhu showed, Krishna's birthplace is also in Gokul and in Mathura. And the one in Gokul, that is more important because that is Nandanandan Krishna, that is Swayam Bhagavan Krishna, that is Angsa. Yogumaya came out. By mystic arrangement, she put everybody to sleep in the prison. Who was born in Mathura? Did Devaki have a child? Do you know of any children born with four arms and begin speaking philosophy? <laughs> no child was born there. But Krishna's Angsa made his appearance. And Vasudev didn't question it at all. His love, Devaki's love, is imbued with some Aishwarya, some knowledge of the godhood of Krishna. Yashoda Mai has no idea that Krishna is God. And Krishna in her arms has no idea that he's God either. This is Krishna. Just affection and love itself personified. And I mean universal love, real love. This is Krishna. So, no, Krishna is not the real son of Vasudeva and Devaki. That is a popular theory. He didn't take birth there. But out of fear for him, Mother Devaki said, oh, please, disguise yourself. So that Vaibhava Prakash of Krishna appeared there by Yogamaya's arrangement as two-handed. And that child was taken by Vasudeva crossed the Jumuna into Vrindavan and exchanged for the daughter. But Krishna was already there. What did he do? He merged that Krishna that he was bringing. Where did he come from? He's the Amsa of Krishna, so he merged back into Krishna. So when he took the child and put him down, like that, he merged back into the original Krishna, and he took the daughter. Now these are all technical points, and we can study the Sanskrit and come to these conclusions and study corollary literatures like Padma Purana and so forth that give support to this Gaudiya conception when commented upon by Gaudiya charges who are really seeing and experiencing this out of love and affection and this is the only real force behind Krishna's appearance and what fuels his whole Leela. You have to understand this point, it's very important. The love in the heart of Krishna's pure devotees is non-different from Krishna. That worship, that love is what we want to become. We want to become that bhava. And that bhava is non-different from Krishna. This is how we want to become Krishna. Prabhupada used to say we don't want to become Krishna. That's true too. But it means there's a bed and there's an abed in the equation of the metaphysic of Jiva Goswami. Bed abed. Abed means difference. Bed means non-difference. We want to become one with the will of Krishna. The will of Krishna to celebrate himself manifests through his Srup Shakti and different bhavas represented by different of his eternal devotees. We have to become one with one such bhava, to be that bhav, not that person, but that bhav of that person, which is a way of being that person and not being that person at the same time. To have those spiritual sentiments. And those spiritual sentiments, they are one with Krishna because there is no meaning to Krishna without those sentiments. Without the sentiments of Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda, there's no meaning to the birth of Krishna. It doesn't exist independently of that. This is what causes Krishna to appear. This is the face and the full face of the Absolute that corresponds 
with that kind of love. Jeja tamam prapadyante tamstatayla bhajami ham. Krishna said it in the Gita. As they worship me, I reciprocate accordingly. Krishna, besides everything we've talked about, we have to understand very practically, he must be the son of Yashoda because the measure of her affection is such that it is devoid of any Aishvarya, any sense of his godhood. Vasudeva and Devaki, did they pray to have Krishna as their son? No. Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda, they prayed to have Krishna as their son. They got Krishna as their son. Because Narutam says, what you want in your sadhana, that you will get in your sadhya. The sadhya will correspond with the sadhana. They wanted Krishna as their son. We don't find Krishna, Tatapa, Krishna. They desired to have a son like God, just like God. But none of them, they wanted Krishna. When they thought of a son, the vision of Krishna came to them. So that's what they got. So he's the real son of Nanda Maharaj and Yasoda. Their affection has brought about his appearance. So we offer our respect on Janmastami to the affection of Jasoda and Nanda Maharaj. There we can find Krishna. And it tells us this, that nowhere more prominently is Krishna to be found than in the heart of the Vaishnav. We are called Vaishnavs. This is Vaishnavism. Why we say we should worship the Vaishnav? Because he's older, or he's more advanced. What does all that mean? He's more advanced. It means in the full sense of the term, because as I say, what's in his or her heart of a real Vaishnav, that is Krishna. That's where he is, really. He corresponds with that. So you try, all of you, this is my humble request, find a Vaishnav and catch on to his or her feet. This is the ticket to Krishna Leela. There's no other way. Find a Vaishnav who will think kindly of you. You try to render service to such a Vaishnav that you will draw Krishna's attention to you and you become a Vaishnav. And your heart will be filled with this kind of aspiration, kind of pure desires, pure affection that causes Krishna to manifest, to appear. You'll find yourself as a member of that eternal drama. And of course, from that Vaishnava, you will learn so many things that you have to do. Saranagati. This is the first thing. Yes, chant Hare Krishna, but how? Really chant, fully, with your whole heart, and surrender. Not because it's supposed to be done at this time, and it will soon be over. Chant in such a way that it will bring an end to all other concerns that I have in my busy life. Even I want them, and I'm busy thinking about them before I enter into the kirtan. At least in the kirtan, let me think. Let me not want to want them. That they may go away forever. It only the desire for hearing and chanting the holy name or feeling that will manifest in my heart. We should pray like this. You know, I had a good fortune here, and I'll just end with this. Here in New Dwarka, where I was a young brahmachari here, and some of you may remember me from those days. And... I was used to stand next to Prabhupada when he sat on his Vyasasan. I came here in, in 1972. I had joined Santa Cruz, and then I came in 1972 to Los Angeles to meet Prabhupada. And while I stayed here, I stayed here from all of 1972 and 1973 before I was asked to go and travel. And Prabhupada came three months in the spring and three months in the winter, both of those years. I became very extremely attached to Prabhupada. After the first three months, I knew what it meant, what separation meant. When I heard one day, well, Prabhupada's going to be leaving in two days, I couldn't imagine what my life would be like having been with him in his company, hearing his comments on Bhagavatam, 
seeing him in the morning, I would wait outside the door when he'd come out for his walk. I'd wait till he came, when he came back to come out of the car and to go into this room, through which he, in those days would be the entrance to the temple. Then I would race to the temple and be at the door when he came through the door into the temple, follow him up to Gornatananda's altar and, and the altar of Rukmini and Dorpidish and Jagannath Dev and his obeisance, Pranam took that big, huge painting of Narasimha, and then he turned to his Vyasa and I had my spot there. Somehow I got my spot standing next to Prabhupada, next to his right ear. I would always stand there. There's a few pictures that you can find me there. <laughs> I had my place and standing next to him, you know, after the class, and he would give some short kirtan, and usually he would have one of the senior disciples leave the kirtan. So, at any rate, when I heard one day he was going to leave in two days, I couldn't imagine how I could go on. He hadn't left yet, but his hearing that he was going to go, my heart just was so torn, but not in a mundane way, because as it was torn and thinking of him, my hairs were standing on end. I had no thought for anything, anything worldly of any slightest measure. I could understand, by His grace, I had some abhas, some shadow. It was those feelings of separation that drive us to the pitch of bhajan that causes Krishna to appear. Mahaprabhu's whole later part of his leader is that separation that he cultivated. I had some just glimpse of that by His mercy. So attached to Him I was. And one day, I think it was 1973. I was standing next to him and I was thinking, now the class will end and, and Prabhupada is going to chant. Somebody's going to lead the chanting and I will be in the kirtan with Prabhupada. And I thought, what do I know about this Hare Krishna Mahamantra? I thought, very little, I thought. But he knows, he likes this. He gets great joy from chanting this. So I thought, let me chant just in such a way, just to please him. Let me sing the name just thinking, because it would please him, I'll chant for that reason. So I sang like that. I sang like that. And Prabhupada looked at me with big eyes and smiled. I thought, oh, I'm doing something right. The next morning, after the class, it was time for the kirtan, and different sannyasis who were good at kirtan, I was just a brahmacharya, but they were, sannyasis who were good at kirtan, they were kind of like, a little bit of a kind of a little ego battle, like who would lead the kirtan type of a thing was going on. And the battle was won, and the winner was just about to start, and Prabhupada said, no, he turned to me. I was just Truparari Brahmachari. He said, let him sing. Oh, I thought, Prabhupada, I did something right yesterday. So I led the kirtan. Next day, Prabhupada did the exact same thing. He said, let this boy sing. So you try to sing like that. This is my humble suggestion. You chant this mantra, something like that. Not for anything only to please your Gurudev and our Guru Parampara for their pleasure. That means for the pleasure of Radha Govinda, pleasure of Krishna and Balaram, who they're associated with, and in Lila, for them, that they may reveal something about that to you and draw you in. That is my humble request. Thank you for your time, kind consideration. Does anyone have any question? Killing a tree is the same thing as killing a human being, considering that there's the Atma and the Paratma in the tree, as well in the human being, and those two being eternal, 
and the rest just being material, is it the same thing? So you want to know, is it the same thing to kill a tree as it is to kill a human? In regards of Krishna's awareness for his parts and parcels. The most important thing in Vaishnavism, other than chanting the holy name, is what? Jive doi Krishna nam sarvadharma sar. Thakur it says, the essence of dharma is two things. Jive doi Krishna nam. Chant Krishna nam and jiva doi. means show kindness to jivas. Show kindness to other living beings. So, within the context of the culture of bhakti, we show kindness to other living beings in every way possible. So, it doesn't matter if they're a human being or if they're a tree, we show kindness. At the same time, relative to one's embodiment, the jiva's embodiment, we have to relate to the jiva differently. We can't have this kind of discussion with the trees and get the same kind of response. Something may happen, but they won't ask any questions unless you give a really good talk <laughs> and, and turn them turn them to life, uh, to new life, to make them lokic, kalpa brikshas. It's possible. But Mahaprabhu can do that kind of thing. So we relate to the tree a little differently. We show daya, mercy to the tree, differently. And the general way in which we show mercy to the tree, oh, Krishna has extolled the virtue of the trees over and over again. And Mahaprabhu has taken from that also. In Bhagavatam, Krishna has sung the glories of the trees in Krishna Lila again and again, speaking of their virtues. Mahaprabhu drew from this when he said, Taror means tree. He said, you should be more tolerant than a tree. So Mahaprabhu considered that the tree is like a great uh, example of tolerance, teaching us how tolerant we should be. And we know this verse, most of us, and we can repeat it all and so forth, but we never think of this when we look at trees. And you think about this tonight. <laughs> if you can catch yourself in a couple days, and then and think how many trees you saw and how many times you thought about this, even after we bring it up. This is our position. We are not very high, but high devotees are generous. Anyway, Mahaprabhu, uh, the tree spoke to him like this, about tolerance. So it's a kind of guru to us in this way. And so, in general, with regard to the modern world, then we have great regard for the trees. At the same time, to show the fullest regard to the tree would be to engage the jiva in that tree's body in some service to Krishna. But the nature of Krishna's service is very interesting because a lady recently, a scholar, very famous scholar on Indology, she gave a talk in which she said the Bhagavad Gita is not really a, a nice book like we all think it is. It's not really a very nice book. Everybody thinks, oh, the Bhagavad Gita, the Tao Te Ching, you know, the Lotus Sutra. But she's saying, actually, the Bhagavad Gita is not like the Tao Te Ching, the Lotus Sutra, with all those just nice, good sayings. This Bhagavad Gita is an extension of Mahabharata, and this Krishna, and he tells people to do all kinds of things. He tells people to lie, he tells people to kill people, so many things. It's not really such a nice book. 
oh, I thought, what a superficial understanding of Bhagavad Gita. Even in the society in wartime, which, you know, military has its utilization at, at times, the cause of the country is considered above every individual's concern. In men's lives, women's lives will be sacrificed, lies may be told, so many things. This is readily accepted in wartime. So you catch a certain window and there's lying going on or you're sacrificing your own man. The general may even know in wartime, I'm going to send this man ahead and he's going to be killed. I'm telling him to go and get killed so that he sees and gives a message back before he's killed and the rest of us aren't, something like that. So this is common. Same thing in Bhagavad Gita. The ideal is very high, of course. And so many things can be done in order to achieve that ideal. So many lesser things that would be ordinarily be wrong, like to kill a tree. Oh, it's not a good thing to chop down a tree. Vaishnavas are very opposed to this, actually. Very much opposed. You can find this throughout Vrindavan, especially, sacred land of Krishna. But it extends everywhere. But at the same time, if by killing a tree we can print a book about Krishna, build a temple of Krishna, that will be very good for the tree. That will be better for the tree than not. So in such instances, for that type of thing, then we can be involved. Otherwise, not. Any other question? Sri Krishna Bhagavan Ki Jai, Krishna Janmastami Ki Jai, Sri Sri Radha Govinda Dev Ki Jai, Radha Madan Mohan Ki Jai, Radha Govinda Ji Ki Jai, Radha Gopinath ki jai, Rukmini Dwarkadish ki jai, Asi Bhakti Vedanta Sami Prabhupad ki jai, Bhakti Raksha Shirati Goswami Maharaj ki jai, Jai Bhakti Siddhanta Sastri Thakur Prabhupad ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda ki jai, Uttamimanandi.